What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks fighting to shake off the negative start to this trading week, but futures suggesting there may be even more pressure on tap. Also, oil pulling back after testing the $90 mark as Saudi Arabia and Russia announced new production moves. We're going to dig in to where prices are heading next. And shares of Chinese property stocks, they are soaring on reports of fresh government intervention in the embattled sector. We're going to cover the details and the steps that Beijing may take. Uh, Getting on the armed bandwagon, tech companies uh, signaling interest in the highly anticipated IPO as the chipmaker continues to draw up support ahead of that offering and heading back to school and back to the office. Our all-star panel lays out whether consumers are in a spending mood as retailers turn to the critical holiday shopping season. It is Wednesday, September the 6th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after stocks kicked off the holiday shortened trading week with some modest losses. As you can see right now, we're in the red across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up just about 45 points lower than Nasdaq down just under a half a percent. The S&P down just about a quarter of a percent. But again, it is early. We're also checking the bond market as we always do. We begin with the benchmark 10 year. We're seeing that at 4.25. We're also seeing the two-year note that yield back just below 5%, a story we continue to watch. We'll talk a lot more about bonds later in the show. We're also turning to energy. A number of headlines to watch this morning, including Saudi Arabia and Russia announcing they're extending oil production cuts. And we see crude pulling back after Brent touched $90 a barrel just yesterday. Right now, begin with the U.S. benchmark WTI, just under 86 a barrel, down almost 1%. Brent crude down to 89.26 just now, almost down 1%. Again, touched 90 bucks a barrel yesterday. Natural gas seeing a little bit of an upside move up just about one quarter of a percent. We'll dig in more to the price action for the oil market later in the show. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, Taiwan Semiconductor becoming the latest tech company to weigh in on ARM's upcoming IPO. The company's chairman saying this morning it will decide this week whether to invest in the chip designer's public offering. This after ARM revealed in a filing that Apple, Alphabet and NVIDIA are among the companies showing interest in buying up to $735 million worth of shares. The FTC is reportedly gearing up to file a lawsuit against Amazon later this month. This, according to The Wall Street Journal, which says the potential move comes after the e-commerce giant's lawyers offered no concessions in talks with agency officials last month in the search for a possible settlement over antitrust claims. The journal says the lawsuit will target a number of Amazon's business practices, including its fulfillment logistics program and pricing, by third-party sellers. 
And Federal Reserve Vice Chairman nominee Philip Jefferson's confirmation taking a critical step forward. The Senate voting overwhelmingly to clear the way for his confirmation with the cloture vote marking the next to last step in the process. Final approval of Jefferson is expected later this week, Frank. Certainly a story to watch. Uh, changes in the Fed, always something we watch here oh, on CNBC. Oh, we sure will. Savannah, I'll see you later in the show. See you later, Frank. All right. Turning our attention now back to the markets and September's historically disappointing performance for stocks so far following tradition. According to CFRA research, the S&P 500 has delivered an average loss of three quarters of a percent during this month. But your next guest says despite that trend, there could still be positive surprises looming for stocks for the rest of this year. Kevin Karen is the chief co-chief investment officer and senior portfolio manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. All right. So you have a pretty broad client base looking here. You have about nine billion dollars in assets under management. So I have to ask, you have a lot of clients. What are you telling them? What are these positive surprises we should be looking for? Well, as we as we came into the year, there was a lot of negativity. And the biggest thing that's changed since the beginning of the year is the fading of that neg- negativity. We've simply had we've had a better economy than was widely expected at the beginning of the year. We've had some expectation that rates might stop rising as they have. And we've and that's been supported by the inflation data, which has been coming in. So what we're seeing today is an economy that is better for stocks and not threatened as it was a year ago by the prospect of ever higher interest rates. And that's so, set up for a very bullish market this year. So, Kevin, you said we saw rates stop rising. Right now I'm looking at the 10-year at 4.25, um, one of its highest levels of the year. So when you say they've stopped rising, what do you mean exactly? Yeah, what I'm saying is, it, it, in general, the, the big rise, the big surprise came in 2022. It's hard to believe because we've been talking about high inflation and rising rates for, seems like, forever. But at the beginning of last year, what you had was a market that was expecting essentially zero percent interest rates off into the horizon. The shock came when the inflation rate began to come in very strong in the spr- spring of 20 fall and spring of 22. And then the Fed had to get get very aggressive in terms of tightening. And okay. that's where we are now. All right. So also where we are now is the uh, the inverted yield curve. It's certainly narrowed down to about 70 basis points, uh, well below where it was. But another thing I'm seeing here, the two year and the 30 year uh, from the whole range yields above four and a quarter. Isn't that a lot of competition for equities that may prevent these so-called positive surprises that you're seeing? Yeah. So we've played a catch it. We've played catch up. I mean, even if you think about the companies, the, the growth tech stocks that ruled the roost for the first half of the year, a lot of that was coming back off of a very significant downturn in 2022. So you've gotten to a point now where. Uh, stock valuations are above average. I think the forward-looking P.E. for the S&P 500 is about uh, in the upper teens, maybe 18 or 19 times earnings, okay. a little higher than the 15 times normal. So at some point, you're right, interest rates will begin to compete a bit against equity returns. And if there was a risk case this year, that's probably it. All right, let's talk about the consumer. I know you're looking at the consumer. Just had the jobs report come out. Wages didn't rise quite as much as expected. Unemployment up just a bit. So the labor market's not as tight. Um, give us a sense of what we're seeing with, with that and what you're seeing when it comes to consumer spending. How does that impact the market? Well, we just published a piece on our website, WashingtonCrossingAdvisors.com, that talks about why we focus on the consumer. We want to own quality companies, which for us require owning companies that are dependable. 
And if there's one aspect of the economy that has been dependable for a very, very long time, it's the consumer. Uh, Consumption is really the thing that drives the economy. It's what businesses look to when they make their spending plans. And ultimately, what we're seeing this year has been a good amount of strength in the consumer, despite fears of of the potential for the consumer rolling over overall. So retail sales have been strong. And even the uptick in the unemployment rate, that has more to do with people coming off the sidelines back into the labor force. So that's even showing signs of strength. At the same time as as inflation comes down, that suggests that the, the Fed at the moment appears to have gotten it right this year. Okay. And that's a very positive thing for stocks. All right, Kevin Karens, and the Fed has gotten it right. Appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank All right, you we have a lot much. more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today, plus the latest on China's potential new intervention into its embattled property sector, sending shares of some of its biggest players surging this morning, and Saudi Arabia and Russia laying out new oil output moves as crude tests 90 bucks a barrel. Could $100, could that be far off? And then later, Microsoft shooting for the stars with its newest video game as it looks to get a leg up on the competition in the gaming sector. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at shares of Chinese property stocks. They're surging in overseas trading over rising hopes of Beijing stepping in with more stimulus. A state media report says officials might roll out new measures to shore up the sector. That includes dropping home buying restrictions. That development coming after embattled developer Country Garden avoided default on its debt. Taking a look at shares of Country Garden, uh, those shares up more than 20 percent. You can see the rest of the sector up between 20 and 80 percent. Let's see how trading is shaping up overseas. Our Arabile Gumade, he's live in our London newsroom with much more of the early action. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, good morning to you, Frank. So it's a negative day, unfortunately, out in Europe. A keen focus here will certainly be, however, on that oil situation then. Russia and Saudi Arabia both agreeing to extend their oil production cuts then by another three months. Effectively, Saudi Arabia saying that they're going to cull one million barrels per day as they have since July up until the end of the year. It will be reviewed then from that basis onwards uh, as well. So it does mean that oil prices have certainly surged and gone a lot higher. And it is the impact that is being felt across some of the European markets. You're finding household household goods going down today. 
Oil and gas sector also getting a bit of a hit. So too basic resources. So you are seeing the CAC 40 out in France as well as the FTSE 100, which does house some of the basic resources going down eight-tenths of a percent for the FTSE 100 thus far. Over in the Asian market, you've touched on it. The property sector being that keen focus out on that side of the world. So you're seeing the Hang Seng dip off, even if it is just marginally, while the S&P in uh, Australia, though, is down. But... The Nikkei and the Shanghai Composite are on the up on the back of that surge then in those property stocks. So very significant and important to the market thus far. Mixed trading boards across here, down across Europe, Frank. All right, Arabile, thank you very much. Arabile Goumede, live in our London newsroom. Well, as Arabile mentioned, oil is moving on Saudi Arabia and Russia, extending production cuts to the end of the year. The latest cuts are on top of those agreed to by several OPEC Plus members back in April, which extend to the end of next year. Let's talk more about this now with Rebecca Babin, senior energy trader at CIBC Private Wealth. Rebecca, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. How are you? Well, a lot to talk about here. So let's just cover the big news here. Uh, The decision by Saudi Arabia to extend the one million barrel cut through December. You say it's a pop quiz for investors of all kinds. So I'm looking at the prices right now. Who failed this quiz? Who passed? Right. So I think the market generally got a C on this quiz. They had expected that Saudi Arabia and Russia would roll over their cuts through October. So the real surprise is the last two months, November and December, um, of extending the cuts. Analysts had been projecting a taper, not a full bring back of the full million barrels in November and December. So most analysts had projected that Saudi Arabia and Russia would bring back 300,000-ish barrels in November and 500,000 in December. So they had been whispering that an extension through December was possible, but nobody had actually done the work to adjust their balances. So I give them a C on that, and I give Saudi Arabia an A-plus for continuing to keep Keep the market on its toes and giving out pop quizzes and also making sure that short sellers know they will be sent to detention if they start to get too aggressive in the market. <laughs> I think Saudi Arabia really wanted to prevent a okay. December 2022 event where we had massive volatility into the year end. Interesting metaphor, the Saudi energy minister basically being the teacher in this metaphor. So you mentioned short sellers. Oil's up about $3 a barrel since the start of September. Um, Does that deeply impact short sellers? And I'm also looking at the dollar up 2% in the second half of the year. How are these two things? Where's the equilibrium there? Well, so that's a great question. Short sellers got absolutely flushed out of the market over the last two months. If you look at the CFTC data, shorts have been reduced significantly. So they are no longer of the prevailing force in the market. They are on the sidelines right now. Um, In terms of the dollar, I have been surprised that crude has held up so well in the face of the recent rally. I think what we're seeing today, as we're seeing crude give back some of the gains we had yesterday after this announcement, is a reflection of what's happening with the dollar and the broader macro picture of how this move and the move higher in oil is starting to change the narrative as we talk about inflation globally. So it's a factor. Let me jump in, Rebecca. You're talking about the macro picture before we let you go, I got to ask you about one thing. That's China. What demand are we seeing from China? Is demand from China, is that part of what's supporting this price action when it comes to oil? Yes. So I think that's a misnomer in the market that China demand is lagging and not doing well. The big picture macro data from China has been weaker, but under the surface on a micro level, 
crude demand has held up exceptionally well and actually outperformed so far in 2023. It is underpinning part of the rally and the support in the market. What has been the headwind is macro and supply from U.S. producers outperforming and additional supply from Iran. All right, we've had a big windup. So I think the real question for everybody out there who's an investor or just a consumer, are we headed towards $100 a barrel oil this year? Do you see that as a, a strong possibility? So I don't think we see $100 this year. Um, I think there's a huge factor, which is the upcoming political elections. And I think nobody in Saudi Arabia or OPEC Plus wants to start to take the heat politically of letting crude rip higher without bringing back supply. Let's be clear. They have supply to bring on. And I don't think it's in their best interest to do so. I think we see 95 Brent, 93 TI at some point towards the end of the year, not quite 100. All right, there we go. Rebecca Vabbing, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time and your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a tough month for some of the retail trader favorites. As the ones beloved meme stocks, they lose just a bit more of their shine. We're going to dig into what has investors bowing out. That's when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. GameStop set to report its latest quarterly results after the bell today. The stock's down more than 13% over the last month or so, and it's not just GameStop shares that are getting hit hard. Other meme stock favorites were talking C, Peloton, Roblox, Marathon Digital, and SoFi, also seeing losses between 24 and 43% during August. The meme ETF itself ending the month down nearly 20%, marking its worst month of the year. Let's talk more about the state of the meme stocks and where retail investors are looking to put their money to work with Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia. He's right here in the studio to talk about it. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's talk about meme stocks. We don't talk that often about them any longer. What are meme stocks nowadays? I know GameStop's still one of them. What are the other memes, meme stocks and what kind of action? Why are we seeing this downside action? Yeah, cue BB King, cue Lucille, because the thrill is gone with meme stocks. These are these stocks that caught fire on the Internet chat boards, on Wall Street bets. These were where all the action was in 2021, where people were buying GameStop, AMC. This year, it's been Tupperware. This year, it's been C-Limited. It's been some AI stocks that really soared early and then just got crushed. And if you look across the boards, August was terrible for the meme stocks. Some of these down uh, 11%, 31%, 43%. You know when a stock goes down 35%, it takes a 50% rally to get it back. A lot of these stocks may be done. All right, so I'm, I'm actually going to illuminate. We have some younger viewers on this one. BB King, the thrill is gone. It's a blues song. Meme traders singing the blues right now. But you know what? Retail investors aren't singing the blues. They're still buying a lot. You gave us a chart showing the activity of retail investors this year compared to 2022 and 2021. Of course, 2021 is when the whole Reddit rebellion started. What's the trend? The trend is that we keep buying 
Retail investors are still engaged. If you look at data from Vanitrack, if you look at data from J.P. Morgan, we're still buying. The activity's high. We're just not buying a lot of these so-called meme stocks. And I think when you look at the volume behind them, it is nowhere what it was in 2021. High interest rates may have something to do with that. The fact that we're back to work may have something to do with that. Not a lot of new government stimulus money or any coming our way may have something to do with that. So the volume is gone. The options activity is pretty muted when you look at these stocks. And it used to be when these stocks were shorted, when the short interest was high, you would see the meme stock army. You'd see the Reddit army. You'd see the apes, uh, the AMC fans right. swoop in. That has not been happening. Frank. That chart you showed us is fascinating. I mean, 2020, all of us were stuck in our house, couldn't go anywhere. So that's when a lot of retail trading spiked. But this year, it's even higher. That's pretty amazing, at least so far year to date. So as we see the sell off in meme stocks, what are retail traders selling? Yeah, I like to look at TD's uh, movement index. That shows what traders are buying and selling retail traders like us. And they're buying the big home-cooked favorite stocks. Apple, of course, Microsoft, NVIDIA, as you would expect. The Teslas, the Disneys, the PayPals, and Palantir off of those great earnings a few weeks ago. So they're buying popular stocks right now with decent balance sheets or at least the path to strong profitability. They are not playing around That's what with they're smaller buying. stocks. But what That's are they what getting buying. rid of? What, are they ju- what ships are they jumping off of? Carnival Cruise Lines. Well done. <laughs> well played there. Nice assist. Meta, which had a great run through the first seven, eight months of the year. Airbnb, which is having some issues here in New York City and other places. Johnson & Johnson, I thought that was interesting. Bank of America and Warner Brothers Discovery. So they're selling a lot of those. But these are big stocks. This is activity with widely held stocks. Some of these on the buy side, right. really strong balance sheets, very popular. This is basically the NASDAQ 100 plus a couple others. So you're not seeing a lot of gaming with the little game stops and the uh, meme stocks out there. You're seeing much more big stocks, activity with the ones that people trust. So what's the big takeaway when it comes to retail traders? Are they just smartening up? Are they getting away from the frenzy of these meme stocks? Is there there a certain direction they're going, or are these just aberrations? I think this is kind of back to normal because meme stocks, they come and they go. We're going to have another round of them eventually. We had it with AI, right? We had it with crypto a few years ago. We had it with these memes. But right now, tried and true, good balance sheets, looking for quality and not trying to find uh, fast gains in some of these meme stocks. You, my friend, you are quality. Caleb Silver, thank you for coming in. Editor-in-Chief, Investopedia, always great to have you here. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's headlines. Outside of the world of business and your money, we have NBC's Jessica Layton in New York with the very latest. Good morning. Frank, good morning to you. The one-time leader of one of the major extremist groups involved in the events of January 6th was sentenced on Tuesday. Former chairman of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, got 22 years in federal prison. It is now the longest punishment in the ongoing prosecution of those who tried to overturn the 2020 election. Tarrio was convicted back in May. A panel of judges has thrown out Alabama's congressional map. The court found that the map, which was just redrawn by Republicans, failed to follow a Supreme Court order to create a second majority black district in that state. Now, this ruling now orders a court-appointed special master to submit three new maps for the 2024 election. Alabama's attorney general's office says it plans to appeal. And meet Kipiki. After 40,000 votes, this rare spotless baby giraffe born at Bright Zoo in Tennessee was finally given a name. It apparently means unique in Swahili. And Frank, ironically, I thought it should be named Spot, but I guess that Kipiki is a lot better than Spot. Back to you. Ironic nicknames are always a good time. <laughs> uh, I, li- I like Spot. I like the name they gave him. Jessica Layton, I like you. Great to see you. <laughs> All right, still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange. The Commerce Secretary making the case for improving relations with China. 
her comments to CNBC on what businesses are telling her. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. September's slump looking like it won't roll on for another day. Futures pointing to more losses at the open. And Microsoft is rolling out its highly anticipated new video game for its popular Xbox console. The tech giant shooting for the stars with an exclusive offering. And back to school and back to office, our all-star panel lays out what the end of summer could mean for the retail and the real estate sectors in the months ahead. It is Wednesday, September the 6th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. As you can see, in the red across the board, the Dow looks like it would open up about 40 points lower right now off of its lows of earlier this morning. The S&P down about a quarter of a percent. The Nasdaq down just under a half a percent. But again, as we always say, it's early. We'll also look at the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year yield. Right now at 4.26, important to note, the two-year yield back below 5%, eased a bit from the action we saw yesterday, the 30-year bond at 4.37. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically WTI, the U.S. benchmark, right now at 86.06, just off of its lows of earlier. uh, Brent crude back below 90 bucks a barrel, hit the 90 buck a barrel mark yesterday, now at 89.33, down almost 1%. Natural gas actually taking a dip to the downside. It was up about a quarter percent higher just earlier now down fractionally lower. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau, she's back with those. Hey, Frank, good morning. Dominion Energy announcing it's planning to sell several of its natural gas units to pipeline operator Enbridge for $9.4 billion as it doubles down on renewable energy and electric grid investments. Enbridge, which manages pipelines in Ohio and North Carolina, will pay the $9.4 billion in cash, as well as assume $4.6 billion in debt, making Enbridge's gas business the biggest in North America by the end of next year. Enbridge shares sinking on the news. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo stressing the importance of dialogue between the U.S. and China following her high-profile trip to that country last week. Speaking with Arjun Kramer last night, Raimondo says U.S. companies need equal opportunities in China. U.S. business leaders are practical and pragmatic. They've been doing business in China for decades. They do business all over the world in some difficult places, but they do need a level playing field. They can't operate and think that there's going to be a raid on their business and they're not going to be told exactly what they did wrong. And Elon Musk reportedly taking on a $1 billion loan from SpaceX while acquiring his social media platform X. The Wall Street Journal says SpaceX approved the loan last October with backing from SpaceX stock, which Musk has a 42 percent stake of and a nearly 79 percent voting power in. The journal adds that Musk paid the loan back a month later, though it's unclear what he used those funds for, Frank. Interesting story. Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, turning our attention now to the gaming sector. A big day on tap from Microsoft as it rolls out its latest video game for its Xbox console. The company looking to get a bigger piece of the action from fellow gaming competitors. Our Steve Kovac joins us now with much more on the story. Steve, good morning. Great to have you here. 
So give us a sense. Just how big of a deal is this debut? Are we talking Madden big or is it a different <laughs> different size? A uh, different size, different kind of game. But look, this game, it's, it's a new Xbox game exclusive for Xbox and PC. It's called Starfield. And for Microsoft on this, Frank, the stakes are huge. Starfield comes from a studio called Bethesda, which was part of an acquisition Microsoft made for $7.5 billion a few years ago. This will be the first major exclusive release to come out of that deal. Now, Frank, you just heard me say the word exclusive. And if you've been following the drama behind Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of Activision, you know exclusive games like this is one of the key reasons regulators tried to kill that deal. Microsoft needs this one to be a hit, though. Sony is by far the market leader in console gaming, with the PlayStation 5 outselling the new Xboxes. And a big reason for that, Sony and Nintendo just have more appealing exclusive titles for their platforms. Microsoft still hasn't had a hit since the new generation of Xboxes launched nearly three years ago. Now, Starfield comes with a lot of credibility, Frank, because Bethesda is this legendary studio behind hit franchises like Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Just to give you an example, the last major Fallout game in 2015 did about $750 million in sales in its first 24 hours, and it continues to generate more sales to this day. It's another reason why Microsoft wants Activision. Look at Activision's last Call of Duty game. That one made $800 million in sales in its first weekend. Another blockbuster example, that last Grand Theft Auto game, it brought in a whopping $1 billion in its first weekend. Now, Frank, we talk a lot about movies like Barbie grossing a billion dollars in a few weeks, but blockbuster games like Starfield can do that within just the first few days. So I'm going to dive into all of this, by the way, at 11.30 a.m. Squawk in the Street when a first-on interview with Microsoft's gaming CEO, Phil Spencer, and Bethesda's director, Todd Howard. Frank. You know, all interesting stuff here, Steve. So I think I want to hit on one point that you hit on. One of the key issues for regulators is that uh, Microsoft can't have exclusive rights to some of its cloud games. How does this exclusive game, how does that impact um, potential regulation or, or a deal to, that will let them acquire Activision Blizzard? Yeah, Frank. So this actually came up during uh, the FTC's uh, effort to block it in that trial that we covered this summer. And they brought up Starfield as an example, saying, hey, you bought this studio. And as soon as they came out with the new franchise, you made that exclusive. And Microsoft's position is, look, existing franchises will keep that on rival platforms. Call of Duty was the big one. Of course, they're going to keep that on PlayStation and other platforms. Uh, but they are leaving the door open. So if Activision, if they do seal the deal with Activision and Activision comes up with another hit franchise besides Call of Duty, there's a really good chance, Frank, they'll make that exclusive as well. You know, see, one other question. Do exclusive games, they make a big difference? You and I have talked about in the office. I only play PlayStation. I never right. play Xbox. I'm not going to switch just for a game. Right. And that's kind of what Microsoft is hoping will happen here. In fact, co coinciding with this big launch, they have a new version of that cheaper Xbox Series S model uh, in order to hopefully juice sales of the console along with this game that so many people have been anticipating. So, look, the, the hope is probably that I'll drive their subscriptions for the cloud gaming service and sell the hardware, Frank. All right, Steve Kroback, thank you very much. Sure. Well, the Labor Day holiday marks the unofficial end of summer. We all wish it could just last a little bit longer, with millions of America now heading back to school or back to the office this week. Two parts of the market likely impacted. We're talking retail and commercial real estate. Back-to-school shopping expected to reach a record $41.5 billion this year, driven by consumer electronic purchases. Meanwhile, office utilization is estimated to gain some traction this month as more companies crack down on the return-to-office policies for at least part of the week. 
Let's talk about both sides of the coin with Jerry Storch, Storch Advisor CEO and former Toys R Us U.S. CEO who's here on retail. We also have Julie Whelan, CBRE Global Head of Occupier Thought Leadership, who's covering commercial real estate. Great to have you here both. Good morning. Morning. Morning, Frank. All right. So ladies first, Julie, if you don't mind, we'll start off with you. Let's talk a little commercial real estate. Um, heard a lot of companies from a Goldman Sachs to Tesla, Salesforce, can name a whole bunch of big name companies, really encouraging. I'm going to use the polite word, encouraging their employees back to the office. What trends for back to the office are you seeing so far? How does the last third of the year look? Well, I'm excited for the last third of the year. I think that over the last nine months, we have felt a little bit stagnated. But actually, I feel good in the summer months that we have not seen as great of a pullback as I think we would have. And the reason is because we have a lot of companies that are much more decisive about the type of company they want to be, being an office or a remote company. And I think we're seeing that in the numbers. And we would expect that as summer traffic comes back to the office, that we'll see an increase post-Labor Day where we are right now. Really? So more people coming back, even in the wintertime, especially in the Northeast, you're expecting more people to actually make that trek into the office? I do. I think new routines are going to be set as companies are being much more clear around their communication about expectations. Okay. So, Jerry, over to you. Let's talk retail, back-to-school shopping. We just hit it. The NRF forecast, the back-to-school shopping will reach a record $41.5 billion this year, actually up 12% from a year ago. And electronics is fueling that. So give, me, give us a sense. What, the elect, what electronics are fueling this this rise because we keep hearing that PC sales are down and people bought for their PCs during the pandemic. Well, they are down and, and sales may be up, but they're not up in a robust fashion. And a lot of that's inflation. Keep in mind that if you take a retailer like Best Buy, they've told you their sales are negative and they're going to stay negative for the rest of the year. What we see from consumers, even, even in a pretty good back to school season, is they're buying services, you know, things like you hear about cruises or concerts and not things, not the goods that retailers sell. And they're buying things they need, you know, necessities, not their wants. And as we turn the corner now and head towards the holiday season, we retailers, we want you buying lots of things that you want and don't need. But that's not <laughs> where the head is right now. And so what we're going to see is a pretty challenging holiday season. All right. So what's this back to school shopping season? What's that going to tell us about the consumer? What are you expecting for the holiday season? Well, what we're seeing is the consumer is challenged. And, you know, we know why inflation interest rates, credit card debts rising, and then we have the, the, the uh, uh, restart of student loans. So we do expect kind of uh, the best uh, in retail trend is your friend. So we do expect sort of a continuation of what we're seeing, which is that, that uh, you know, holiday season is going to be fair, but not great. This is not going to be one of the best holiday seasons on record. You can, you can take that to the bank. It's going to be a struggle every inch of the way. And again, a lot of retailers have already told you this. They've already said our sales are going to comp negative over the holiday season. So it's not going to be that strong. All right. So let's talk about the commercial real estate sector. Julie, I want to come back over to you. Um, your estimates have $53 billion in loan losses in the commercial real estate sector um, going forward. About half of that's supposed to impact the banks. So give us a sense. Um, what are we seeing when it comes to the commercial real estate sector long term and this impact on the banks? How does this impact the financial system? So the commercial real estate sector is obviously challenged right now. We're in a soft market, especially from an office perspective. However, we do not believe that the loan losses that are expected are anything to destabilize the financial system. The reason for that is because really the loan losses that are expected that you just talked about are only about one and a half percent of bank assets today. So again, not anything that we expect to destabilize. 
It's important to note that although the next year will likely be challenging in office, there is a sector of office being high quality office that is quite resilient right now. And we expect to remain resilient before we start to see a rebound in the overall market, hopefully in the 2025 timeframe. All right. So interesting. So I just want to kind of come full circle because these two things are actually pretty connected. So, Julie, back over to you. As we see more people go back to the office, Jerry's talking about that retailers want people to buy the things they want, not not what they need. Shouldn't that be a tailwind for the retail sector as we see more and more people going back to offices? Um, In many cases, offices are very close to retail stores and shopping centers. Absolutely. And, you know, I just talked about that high quality office space that organizations are fleeting to right now. And much of that is in these mixed use districts that are anchored by retail and the service sector and the experiences that those retailers actually provide. And so as more foot traffic falls upon these areas in the fall and the winter time frame, then it will certainly be a boon for the retailers that are in those districts also. All right, Jerry Storch, Julie Willing, great to have you both here. Thank you both very much. Thanks, Frank. All right, we turn now to some breaking news on big tech and regulation. The European Commission is designating 22 core businesses of six companies as gatekeepers of online services that provide messaging to video sharing. The firms are Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, and TikTok owner ByteDance. The move stems from the EU's new Digital Markets Act, which came into effect late last year. Companies with more than 45 million monthly active users and a market cap above $82 billion, they're considered now gatekeepers. Businesses with that label will be required to make their message apps operable with rivals and let users decide which apps to pre-install on their devices. Certainly a story we'll continue to follow here on Worldwide Exchange and throughout the day here on CNBC. Uh, Coming up here on the show. Shares of Chinese property developers taking off on word of incoming intervention by the government, the potential steps that Beijing may take. But first, as we head to break, we're going to share some of your top trending stories. Call it a messy, messy world. The Wall Street Journal reporting Apple TV subscriptions and Major League Soccer streaming services. They got a major boost on the day of Lionel Messi's first match with Inter-Miami with the MLS this season pass, seeing more than 110,000 new signups. Season pass, that's the streaming service for Major League Soccer. There may be only room for a few at the top, at least when it comes to crypto. New data from Henley and partners showing that of the 425 million people who use crypto, less than 1% have assets worth at least $1 million. And just six people, just six, hold more than $1 billion worth of Bitcoin. And she did it once and she'll do it again. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert film expected to notch blowout numbers during its debut, topping $100 million when it premieres in movies this October. We have much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with UBS upgrading its rating and price target on Toast to buy and 30 bucks a share. It says in part, Toast remains well positioned to capture the restaurant industry's ongoing shift from legacy to omni-channel integrated software solutions. Taking a look at shares of Toast this morning, they're up nearly 4%. Barclays also initiating coverage of Int app with an overweight rating and a $43 price target. It says the software company has a lot of runway for growth, estimating there are 50 to 60,000 firms that in-app could potentially target in both the professional services and financial services spaces. Those shares up just over 2.5%. And Morgan Stanley, it is naming Bloom Energy a top pick in clean tech. It says the company is a beneficiary of several key themes, including rising grid instability, the clean hydrogen tax credit included in the the, uh, IRA as well. Uh, Those shares up just over 1.5%. 
It's time now for your global briefing. Shares of Chinese property stocks, they're surging in overseas trading over rising hopes of Beijing stepping in with more stimulus. A state media report says officials might roll out new measures to shore up that sector, including dropping home buying restrictions. The Wall Street Journal reporting that China has ordered government officials not to use iPhones or other foreign branded devices for work. The journal says China's restriction mirrors similar bans in the U.S. against Huawei, as well as against officials using Chinese-owned TikTok. And the G7 and its allies reportedly opting out of regular reviews of Russia's oil price caps as use of fewer Western ships and insurance services to sell oil challenges enforcement of the existing price cap. Reuters says the G7 has not reviewed the cap since March and does not have any immediate plans to do so, despite an initial agreement to conduct those reviews every two months. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, your next guest lays out the stock, offering investors a golden opportunity for potential gains. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Also, join us for the Delivering Alpha Summit on September 28th in New York City with investors and leaders coming together to provide insights, ideas, and analysis to help you balance risk with maximized returns. Scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash delivering alpha to sign up. We have much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Breaking just a short time ago, the European Commission is designating 22 core businesses of Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, and TikTok owner ByteDance as gatekeepers. That's businesses that will be labeled... uh, will be required to make their message apps operable with rivals and let users decide which apps to pre-install on their devices. Taiwan Semiconductor becoming the latest tech company to weigh in on ARM's upcoming IPO. The company's chairman saying this morning it will decide this week whether to invest in the chip designer's public offering. The FTC is reportedly gearing up to file a lawsuit against Amazon later this month. The Wall Street Journal says the potential move comes after the e-commerce giant's lawyers offered no concessions and talks with agency officials last month. The Senate voting overwhelmingly to clear the way for Federal Reserve Vice Chair nominee Philip Jefferson's confirmation. Final approval of Jefferson is expected later this week. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo telling our Jim Cramer, U.S. businesses are in need of a level playing field in China. Her comments to Jim coming after her trip to China last week. And Chevron and union workers in Australia reportedly holding a final round of labor talks today. If the union's requests are not met, workers are expected to begin brief work stoppages at two natural gas hubs this week with plans for a full strike next week. Here's what to watch today. Weekly mortgage application numbers, they're out at 7 a.m. Eastern. That's followed by the July trade deficit at 8.30, August services PMI at 9.45, and the ISM services index at 10 a.m. Look for earnings today from uh, American Eagle Outfitters, C3AI, Dave & Buster's, and GameStop. Also, the Fed's Beige Book, which tracks business and economic conditions in the Fed's 12 districts. That's out at 2 p.m. Eastern. We also hear from Boston Fed President Susan Collins before the opening bell and Dallas Fed President Lori Logan this afternoon. Both of those Fed speeches, something that we'll certainly watch ahead of the Fed's next rate decision. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets. The S&P 500, it is up 17 percent this year and is a little more than 6 percent off of its record close of 47.96 back in January of 2022. But Stiefel's chief equity strategist, Barry Bannister, says it is exceptionally unlikely the S&P will hit a new high by the end of this year, which would require very favorable earnings and financial conditions. Bannister expects the S&P to end the year at about 4,400, roughly 2 percent lower 
than its current levels. Let's bring in Patrick Frizzetti, Managing Director and Partner at Rose Advisors at Hightower. Patrick, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. So what do you think about Stiefel's take? They see 4,400 by the end of the year. Agree or disagree? I mean, I think that's very fair. I mean, I, you know, we August was a weaker month seasonally. Uh, September, uh, historically over the past hundred years, has been the, the weakest month um, in equity markets. I mean, there's a lot going on here. You know, you have a continued pressure, um, inflationary pressures. Um, you're seeing higher energy costs. You were just talking about, you know, increased labor strife. Um, we're seeing, you know, potential strike from the UAW. So. I think there's a number of headwinds, particularly for earnings, as we go into the end of the year here. All right. So you're saying 4,400 seems reasonable. You like we might see a decline throughout the rest of the year. But is that a, a, I, a straight yeah. path? Oh, I don't know if it'll be a straight path. I mean, I, you know, obviously we could go down more and then rally into the, the end of the year like okay. uh, we often do. All right. We want to focus on the day ahead right now. Coming off of a down day yesterday, looking ahead to this day, futures in the red. With that in mind, what's your Wex word of the day? Uh, yeah, just given we celebrated Labor Day, I would say I would say service. You know, there's there's certainly a, a call to not only um, you know serve your, your company, but you know serve your serve your community, uh, serve uh, you know your, your family and the people around you. I think that's a very important word. All right, we'll have to definitely keep that in mind. Of course, after the Labor Day holiday. So again, looking ahead today, how do you see today playing out? Uh, we obviously have a lot of interest rate pressure. Looking at the 10-year at about 4.25, the NASDAQ, the hardest hit in the pre-market at least. What does that tell you about what you're expecting today? Oh, look, on a, on a day-to-day basis, you know, it, to me, I, you know, I look uh, certainly much more long-term. But, you know, for today, um, you know, as you said, there, you know, there's some, some companies reporting. Um, you have some, some Fed speeches. But, but honestly, for the day, you know, I continue to see a choppy market. Okay, um, with interest rates fluctuating, and as you know, as much as, as as bonds have sold off, you know, over the course of the summer, I expect to see you know a little bit of volatility today. All right. Well, so you also have a pick for us. Um, it is FNV Franco Nevada. Uh, it's in the gold area. Shares are deeply underperforming this year. Also, gold prices only up about seven percent this year. I say only compared to equities, but that's generally a pretty right. big move when it comes to gold. Um, yeah. Why is FNV? Why is that your pick? Well, look, just think about the business model. You know, royalty company, you make an upfront payment for a future stream of, of gold production or revenue. So I think it's a very simple business model. And also just think of, you know, all of these increased costs with inflation. It's an asset light, uh, a labor light business model, and they have no debt to boot. So I think it's a very uh, secure business model um, with, you know, a, a tailwind, I believe, with gold prices for the foreseeable future. So would you advise your clients to put money there today? Yeah, we're, we're, we're buying, you know, we're, we've been buying the company in, you know, in this market. All right. Patrick Frazzetti, always great to see you. Thank you very much for being here. No, you're very welcome. Thank you, Frank. All right. Quick check of futures right now. As we mentioned, they are in the red across the board. Taking a look at Dow futures. Looks like the Dow would open up right now about 50 points lower. We're also seeing the S&P and the Nasdaq lower. However, both off of their lows of earlier today. Also want to watch oil. We mentioned uh, we saw $90 a barrel when it comes to Brent crude just yesterday. Now at 89.48. WTI down a half a percent as well. That's going to do it for us today. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thank you for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.